So hi again, everyone. It's great to be here with you. So what I want to talk about is I, I'm taking this class, this writing class, and it's an, like an essay writing class, and they said to find something that, uh, a piece of writing or a quote or something that is meaningful to you, that struck you the first time you read it. It's, a, it's kind of a Buddhist-oriented writing class. And it said, find something that struck you the first time you read, excuse me, or is meaningful or whatever. And so what came to my mind is the Rajan Sutta, one of the suttas, which I've talked about before. Um, it's It just blew my mind the first time I read it. And it's a really short one. It's the one where the king, Pasnadi, and his wife, Malika, Malika, were sitting. And he asked her, who's most dear to you in the world? And... Um, she said, she thought about it for not very long and said, I am most dear to me in the world. And I was kind of shocked because I had created, I, I didn't create, but I said, oh, she's going to say all these other things, not her. And, and then she asked him, the king, who's most dear to you? And he said, oh, I am, I am, I'm most dear to me. And then that later that day, he went to uh, visit with the Buddha, and he told the Buddha the story, and the Buddha said, yeah, and the Buddha said, this, this, this is what he said, um, searching all directions with one's awareness, one finds no one dearer than oneself. In the same way, others are fiercely dear to themselves, so one should not hurt others if one loves oneself. So looking at that, there's there's kind of two two sections. There's searching in all directions. One finds no one dearer than oneself. And then as others are dear to themselves, so don't hurt others if you love yourself. I can, when I first looked at this, when I first heard this um, sutta or first read it, and I was trying to absorb it because, as I said, the, the concept was really interesting to me the concept of I hold myself dear, dearer than anything in the world. The second part of that seems to be a little bit easier to digest. It's like, oh, others love themselves, so we'll be kind to them. Don't hurt them. That's kind of like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, but the first part was it's challenging to a certain extent. And, you know, um, anybody else have that reaction? that it's hard to uh, put yourself before anyone else. Um, am I alone? No, just one person. Okay, <laughs> a couple people. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of common, and I think it's common in the West, in the U.S., maybe Western Europe, but Western re Western civilization. And, um, I, you know, it's it's the socialization that we get, the messages that we're undeserving or we have work to do or we have to put others before ourselves. It's this default idea of the, the right thing, the perfect thing, the good thing. And there's always something a little bit off. There's always, I'm sure there's one more thing you can do to get to that place. So there's always this, this justification for not being enough or needing one more thing and then couple that with the idea of it's don't be selfish 
Don't be self-centered. And if you put yourself first, you're obviously being selfish and self-centered. How many times do we get rebuked for that? Being, you know, as children, don't share, make sure you share or whatever the messages we get. It's, it's, it's kind of taking us out of ourselves. And, and then you have, then you have the example of a narcissist and you go, see, that's bad. And so you want to do anything you can to pull, push yourself away from that. And so um, uh, that's, that's a challenging part of this. And it, it's, um, it goes along this idea of centering ourselves. Being challenging goes along with the idea of offering loving kindness to ourselves. Anybody struggle with that? couple people struggle with that one and because it's again it's that goes into that same idea of being not worthy or being uh you know just there's there's something something um missing i was talking to a friend today who's she's going through a really rough time and so i've been talking to her a little bit over the last week and she was, she's in this place of harsh criticism about herself. And it's, it's so painful to see somebody caught in that. Um, and she was caught in the place of, it's never going to be okay because I'm this flawed human being. It will never work out. This happened back then. It screwed me up, and it's never going to be okay. And it's it's um, we become fortune tellers. We become fortune tellers. I know I'm a fortune teller. I'm sure most of you are fortune tellers. I'm not going to assume, but we can get into that place of I know what's going to happen. I can predict based on crap in my head that I just make up these solidified, hardened, you know, just like I just had a vision of hardened arteries that nothing gets through. It's just so old and crusty. And these ideas that we are so used to, even though they're smelly and um, not pleasant and painful, we buy them hook, line, and sinker. So when you're in that kind of a place, and it doesn't even have to be so extreme. It can be even less um, obvious, just as this is not going to work out, or this is not going to happen, or this is, this is, I can predict, I know what's going to happen because X, Y, and Z. Um, it's, it's, it's so difficult to bring that kindness and compassion to ourselves and center ourselves, hold ourselves dear, more dear than anyone else in the world. Um, you know, how can we hold ourselves dear when we're stuck in this bleak worldview, drowning in these implicit memories? You know, that, that, that implicit memories are those that we don't remember, but that color our worldview, that create the atmosphere through which we move through life. And it almost seems as if it's an impossible task to move out of it. It's like, I can't help it. I was born that way. I've said that around certain habits of mine. And I've learned now that 
mm, I probably shouldn't say that anymore because I've been able to let go of so many habits so that I, you know, I may die before I let go of most of them or all of them, but that's not going to keep me from moving in the direction to let them go as much as I can. So recognizing that it's not you have been, you are doomed to be this way. You know, there's there's experiences that get us caught up in these ways of reacting and responding, but we're not we don't have to always um, live that way. It doesn't the prediction of the future doesn't have to come true. Oh, it just reminded me of Scrooge. You know, this is the ghost of future of 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 the future. And it's like if if you keep going this road, it probably will be shitty. But you have an option to do something different shift the perspective shift how you see things you know we are socialized oftentimes to be small many of us and depending on who we are depending on our our, our if we're women or men or 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 black or brown or red or we're born in this country or not born in this country we receive all kinds of different messages and you know, I, I've mentioned this book before, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And she talks about how there's the default that is the epitome to strive for. And none of us are that default. None of us are that default. And so to struggle and strive for something that's unattainable is always a recipe for disappointment and failure. And suffering, suffering because we're attached to something outside. And Pema Chodron talks about um, it's difficult to offer loving kindness for ourselves. It's difficult to offer mudita, which is appreciative joy for others. It means I'm not happy, and then I don't, I don't want to celebrate your joy because that means there's not enough for me. I don't have what I need. You're getting some. Ah, you're getting mine. There's not going to be enough to go around. It's this place of lack that so often we come from that we sit in. And it, so mudita, appreciative joy, is really difficult. Generosity is difficult. Whatever form of generosity, financial generosity, generosity of time, generosity of, of spirit, you know, any kind of opening up to someone else or something else can be scary because we're th we're moving through the world in this place of, in this frame of not enough not going to get what i need to be okay whatever it is and it shifts constantly but we're always seeking it because we get what we need to be okay one day but then there's something else because we're looking out there um you know and when we when we live in this world it's a world of ignorance that it's the delusion and when we're caught in this delusion it, it feeds the other two poisons the, the the greed if I'm coming from a place of lack I'm gonna want you know where where's mine how do I get what I need and if we're in a place of in delusion sometimes we get into this aversion you know fighting off everything um, uh, we just we turn it's it just becomes so hard and we become so hard we're caught in that ignorance um, and that ignorance fuels the reactivity if we don't get ours we're screwed 
We are so wrapped up in this, it becomes difficult to be in our own skin, in our own minds and hearts. And last week on the retreat, and I posted my Dharma talk from it, um, but the topic was reclaiming our hearts and reclaiming the sacred. And it's really that realization that it's not out there. You know, we've been told that the prize is out there. We've been told that the sacred is out there. And um, you have to go through so many gatekeepers or perform so many tricks or achieve X, Y, or Z to get the prize. But the problem is, it's, it's, it's again, unattainable. It's always out there where... I'm saying that that's not true. It's all right here. And the Buddha says that. And, and the teachers that, I, that I, I really admire talk about that. When you clear away all this delusion, clear away the dust from your eyes, there's this luminosity, there's this light that's present right here. You know, we, this practice is about arriving where we are we don't arrive over there we don't get to a destination there's a real misconception that you know like we die about nirvana there's a misconception that it's like heaven when we finally get it then we get there but what nirvana is nirvana is the cessation of clinging and craving the ease and the and the the joy and the contentment comes when we're no longer grasping we no longer think it, it's out there, but it's actually right here. That's, the, that's when the joy comes. That's when you see the seven factors of awakening. There's the mindfulness, the starting to pay attention and, the, and, the, and the, um, making the effort, the investigation. What is this? What is, is this real or is this just this delusion? Is this craving? Is this aversion? What is this? And then making the effort to stay present. And when you get to have those moments of being present and you have some ease, some joy, some tranquility, concentration, equanimity, and that moves you into your, that's, that's, those are the things you need as you move into enlightenment. You know, and again, another, another list for folks is um, the paramis, which includes generosity. That, that willingness to let go, patience, being with what is, it's okay. It doesn't have to be different from right now. You know, I say that all the time, but we stop. We don't chase. We just be with what we are. Nothing out there. I was like pointing. I love this on Zoom because I point to other boxes and then my hands disappear. See, there's nothing out there. And then I bring my hands back into this box and then, oh, it's right. See, it's right here. Hooray for Zoom. Anyway, um, so we nothing out there will give us anything. We have to start with this internal peace, this willingness to be right here. This willingness to chip away at that delusion, that, that, that solidified chunk of story that we carry with us of, of not good enough or whatever your story is, you know, and, and we be, 
learn um, to make the distinction between selfishness and caring for and about ourselves. You know, um, I think if, and I think you all um, are able to do that. You, there's a, there's a, when you begin this investigation of what is this, you know, I, I want um, what's best for me. Is that really selfish? Or is that a genuine, you know, why wouldn't I want what's best for me? Selfishness is when I want all the prizes and screw you. You know, selfishness is when there's no generosity, when there's a contraction. And I think this is where this attention to the body is so important. When we're in this selfish and, and selfishness is often driven by fear um, because I need to get mine. It's there's a contraction, there's a shutting down, there's a there's a smallness that's involved in that. Whereas when there's this um, self not self centeredness, but this care, it comes from an open heart. So our heart is open to ourselves, just as our heart is open to others. And the um, you know the Buddha talks about this love constantly. So this care is not driven by needing to have uh, the selfishness-driven um, greed, but is driven by this openness, this, this metta, this loving kindness, this compassion for the, the pain that others are going through. Um, your heart is touched. The Buddha talks, as I said, the Buddha talks about love all the time. There's the metta sutta. You know, we wish all beings well. We cherish all beings, including ourselves. He didn't say that, but it was omitting none is pretty pretty clear. And one of my favorite lines in, in the, one of the suttas says, um, talking about people abandoning the killing of all beings. So that's you know the first precept: don't 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 kill all beings. When you cease doing that, you don't just not kill. That's kind of easy to do. Not just, I just haven't killed anybody today, so I'm following the precepts. It's like, that's kind of just not doing anything. But abandoning the killing of beings, gentle and kindly, he abides compassionate to all living beings. Or there's an alternate translation of compassionate there, which is he abides in friendliness to all living beings with a care and a kindness. You know, uh, um, Orange Jay Sofer, who is a teacher, a friend of mine and a teacher on the ex, um, retreat I sat in December, he talks about loving kindness, this practice of metta, and I really liked it. He says, it's a feeling as if you're seeing a friend of yours who you haven't seen in a while. There's that gladdening of the heart. There's like, oh, so nice to see you. Oh, it's so good. That's the feeling that of goodwill that we carry towards others and in, in wise intention. The second factor, the Eightfold Path, the Buddha says we greet the world with that friendliness, with that so good to see you, including ourselves, including ourselves. We hold all with kindness and goodwill. Yeah. And I think a really important part of this 
instruction to care about ourselves and to recognize that we don't have to make a list of things to achieve before we are worthy. We are worthy and deserving just because it's that story of the Buddha's um, enlightenment when Mara is going after him with uh, his armies and then some some sending some people to try and seduce him and Mara's like I mean Buddha's like I see you I see you whatever and then 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 Mara you know says who the hell do you think you are and the Buddha touches the earth with his hand he puts his hand down and he says and the earth bears him witness and says he is just because we don't need to prove our worth we absolutely do not need to approve our worth we are fine just how we are and deserving and can care for ourselves and can hold ourselves dear we hold ourselves dear and it's and I think this is when we take refuge in the Buddha when you talk about the taking refuge in the Buddha the Dharma the Sangha take part of taking refuge is that recognition that yeah us too the Buddha you know touches his hand to the ground and the earth witness bears witness we can touch our hand to the ground too and the earth bears witness for us just because just because there's like a very strong caveat here or or um, uh, reminder that this doesn't give us um, uh, free reign to create havoc because when we are in this place we are in a place of wisdom and integrity so there is accountability in what we do there absolutely accountability for harm we cause intentionally or unintentionally by thought word or deed um, we 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 take ownership but we have a framework that's laid out that helps us live in harmony with others which is the Eightfold Path and as we move into that way of being we find ourselves moving through the world without causing harm or causing less harm and we like ourselves more because we're we're kind of moving in a different way we're not caught up in this this craving and pushing away and aversion and ignorance we're seeing more clearly we're getting the big picture having a shift in perception we're practicing mindfulness we're seeing what goes on and we are um, willing to sit with our own discomfort we don't need it to be different and when we sit with our own discomfort our own pain and begin to bring compassion towards ourselves which is caring for ourselves we then care for others then this is you know the Buddha taught this 2600 years ago in neuroscience is saying hey if you do this this is what happens um, and it's proving or, or kind of bearing out a lot of the teachings of the Buddha so when you you are 
you know, um, activating these parts of the mind, the parts of the brain of kindness and compassion towards yourself, it allows you to care for others. The, the empathy um, parts of the brain are activated. Those parietal lobes, I think they are, are activated. And so there's this, this connection, these mirror neurons that kick in, that when we're tight and shut down, we don't have. We, we, they're not activated. And so it's a wise practice to care for ourselves because then it becomes easier for caring for others. So when you listen to these words, searching in all directions with one's awareness, one finds no one dearer than oneself. In the same way others are fiercely dear to themselves, so one should not hurt others if one loves oneself. And the way to do that is to love oneself, love ourselves. Because the more we love ourselves, the more empathetic we can be with others and the less likely we are to hurt them or cause harm. It's mindfulness, paying attention. It's, I've heard it said, I don't know who said, I don't remember the quote, but the more mindful you are, the less easy it is for you to cause harm because you see what it does, you see the reality. You're not driven by, by fear or greed, or hatred. You see what's underneath. You see the pain. You see the deep conditioning, the deep hurt that drives the reactivity. And so you're not, you're not, you're not there to cause pain to yourself or to others. You're, you're able to be kind, you're able to be open, you're able to be compassionate. And so this teaching makes a lot of sense. It's radical acceptance. It's, it's revolutionary. You know, it's, it's really a revolutionary act in our world to care for ourselves more than we care for others. But it doesn't mean we don't care for others equally. That's the key. And we see that others care for themselves. So why would I hurt somebody else? I don't want to be hurt. They don't want to be hurt. So I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. And then um, just cause at the end of this, I just want to throw in a f the last four lines from that amazing poem that Amanda Gorman read yesterday, where it says, um, the new dawn blooms. Well, actually, I'm going to throw the next the line before that. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if, we're, if only we're brave enough to be it. We have to be brave enough to shine in our own light. And when we can allow our light to shine, we can allow others' lights to shine. We don't have to be afraid. It's really powerful, but it takes slow steps, willingness to hear these words, to say, I don't understand, but I'm not going to throw them out. I'm going to allow them to 
like maybe move in and hang out right here. Maybe, maybe it'll percolate and start paying attention. As you move through the world, you know, with the Eightfold Path and wise speech toward yourself and metta toward yourself and mudita for others, practicing generosity of the heart. Really being cautious as you, as you, as you interact. So that's a way of, of, of cultivating that care for yourself, which, which spills out into care for others. So those are my thoughts, my friends. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.